0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Okay, so here we are in Acts chapter 10, and here's where we go today. Supernatural vision. We are in our series, The Church Supernatural, a subset of the book of Acts so far. To recap, we have seen supernatural revival, supernatural guidance, Supernatural conversion, supernatural healing, and today we see this um, supernatural vision, as we said, and church. Hey, hey, wow, do we need to be a supernatural church? Okay, we need the Holy Spirit desperately amen amen we need the holy spirit we gotta join me in praying for this more and more um i was reading recently a book that was recounting the revivals in england and scotland even in the last let's say 150 years or so so encouraging to read about um, the supernatural work of the holy spirit Um, is everything. It's almost like it's too simple. Like you're reading these accounts of revival taking over a church or a community or a whole region, and you're looking at it, and you're like, well, that's anything but pragmatism. I mean, that is just the grace of God throwing through a hungry group of people and the Holy Spirit comes in and starts turning lives upside down and the gospel of Jesus Christ is saving people, people begging for mercy. Again, it just reminds us, Bill Eliff, one of our friends, he said this. He says, the Holy Spirit can do more in five minutes than we can do in 50 years okay? That's so true. If we're not a supernatural church, man, we got no chance. At the end of the day, again, all the power comes from the Lord in his gospel by the Holy Spirit for the glory of God the Father. If you kind of look across history, every single genuine awesome supernatural work of God has always been a result of supernatural power. It's never been from pragmatism, okay? Pragmatism will never be the foundation of a genuine, supernatural, eternal work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It'll never be the foundation. We need the Lord. Keep on praying again for the reviving of the Holy Spirit. We need to do this together. We have to seek the Lord together. And did you know there's a prayer meeting this Wednesday at 7 p.m.? Did you know that? Doors open at 6 and prayer, pastoral prayer 6.30. We're praying together again at 7 p.m. because we need the Lord so much. Again, you look across history, there's never been a genuine supernatural movement of God apart from the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. If you don't think you need that in your life, life, you need to open your Bible. And that's exactly what we're doing together today again. It's yet another passage where the whole thing, this whole introduction I just gave, the whole thing's presented in Acts 10 again. The gospel of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, changing lives for the glory of God the Father. Acts chapter 10, we got a bunch of verses to get through. I'm taking deep breaths today. There's a whole bunch of verses. It is good stuff. It's the story of Cornelius meeting Peter. I love that you'll give your attention to this. God help us. God work in us. Holy Spirit teach us. Amen. Holy Spirit teach us right now. Use this time. Acts 10, whoo, verse 1. Okay, here we go. Ready? Verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, what was known as the Italian cohort. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God, just imagine that happening, come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror, I bet, and said, What is it, Lord? And he said, this is so beautiful, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa. Bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants, notice, and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them job okay let's start here today point number one we'll do this ready number one the call Cornelius the call Cornelius now in verse one we're introduced to Cornelius who evidently okay evidently God was powerfully working within him on multiple levels if you look at verse one again God is always working loved ones Let's just stop here for a second and let's just be encouraged as we meet Cornelius. Again, God is always working. He is always working. Okay? God is always working. In people, and He's always working to draw people to Himself. I want you to be encouraged with that. Peter had never met Cornelius; never, by heard of the guy, of course. Whatever, they're forty-five kilometers away, but there is God working in this man and his household, planting seeds of the gospel in the, in the pursuit of God. God is always working, loved ones. You got loved ones that you're longing for; they're so far from God. There are people right now that you have never met that you will meet in a week or a month or a year. From from now, in this format, and this place, you'll become friends with them and great brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ because right now, God is working in them that we are totally strangers to, but God will draw them in, save them, redeem them, and make them part of the body of Christ because God is always working, okay? He's always working. So we learn in verse one that Cornelius was a centurion, um, an officer of the Roman army. Now, the Jewish people... Uh, for the most part, did not like the Roman centurions, or they would have hated them for how they related to one another. But Cornelius is not your average Roman officer. Now, verse 2 explains why. Can you see that in verse 2? Look at verse 2. Four main things we learn about Cornelius here, and then very obvious to us, again, what was happening. Cornelius was, number one, um, a devout man. He was a devout man who, notice, feared God And it says his household. His household isn't just his family. It's everyone he has influenced, servants and leaders around him in his house kind of whole area. He's a man of influence in the fear of God. He's a leader. And he's got a passion growing towards the Lord and that's being used around him. We also learn that he was a generous man and that he was a man who said, uh, prayed continually to God. So this is very interesting. Cornelius is described as a God-fearer. What is that? In this context, it's as close as you can get to Judaism without being a full convert. He would not have been allowed to become, again in this way, in his position, a full convert. But evidently, Cornelius was looking around. He discovered the emptiness of the world. He's like, this isn't working. You know, uh, the army is my fulfillment, it's not working, the pleasure of the world's not working. So he was on their track, on their pursuit um, of the one true God. Now it's beautiful to see God working in the hearts of individuals like Cornelius. And again, here he is, this Roman soldier... And then pursuing God again, because God is always working. Like the song we sing, even when I don't see it, you're working. Amen. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, God. You never stop working, drawing people to yourself. And we see this in Cornelius. Uh, He was a man ripe, a ripe for the harvest. He was hours away from total and complete transformation. Let me also quickly point this out, though this is very important. Notice here in this text... Cornelius was a man of religion. He was a man of religion about God. And yet, we know from the end of this passage, he was not yet saved. So he had had good intentions. He was moving in the right direction. He had religion. He did not have relationship yet with Jesus Christ. That's very interesting to me. I've had some awesome conversations in this place in the last two weeks. In the last couple of weeks, people have come into, some of you are here right now, they have come into this place with religion, with good intentions. They are seeking. God is working. They are pursuing. But in these conversations I, I've had, and whether it's in the front of the church or in the foyer, these conversations I have, right away I realized, wait a second, they're here with a good intention, but they've never truly heard the gospel. And the chance to say to them, just basically like that, listen, listen, what does it mean to you to truly know Christ? Do you understand how a person gains interest and to ask them the question and to hear a response back and to say, wait, 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 wait. You're here. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you're here. But you need to know why we're here. We're here because of the grace of Jesus Christ. It's not about being a good person. It's not earning your way into heaven and explaining to them the gift of grace found in Jesus Christ alone. And I'm telling you, in these conversations again, literally in that moment, I'm explaining the good news, the grace, the non-earning my salvation message, the message of, of forgiveness is free by faith. And Jesus Christ, and literally tears welling up in the eyes, and the person says back to me, I've never heard this before. And I'm like, no, isn't it awesome? Isn't it awesome, right? And to understanding, it, you don't have to do anything. You have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ's forgiveness of your sins. Again, people come in, you're right here, you're with religion, but you need relationship. This is Cornelius, but again and again, he's not a Pharisee. He's seeking, and yet he's not there yet. He needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Cornelius is pursuing God, but in reality, we know this. God is really pursuing him. Look at, look at, look at verse 3. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius! And he was scared out of his mind. That's my translation. What is it, Lord? And he said, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now, that isn't, isn't that awesome? I just want to stop here just for a second. I've always loved verse 4. Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. I mean, you don't think your prayers of dependence matter to the Lord? You, you, you don't think your giving matters to the lord like we see here a god a guy on the path seeking god and the angel shows up and the first thing the angel says to him it says god has your prayers have been a fragrance to god and your giving your generosity to the things of the lord has been also as ascended as a memorial to god that is so beautiful that's encouraged me greatly in recent days and weeks as well when we seek to give to the things of the kingdom and pray to God. and Because what's happening here? The angel's not like, hey Cornelius, way to go man, you're earning points with God. No, 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 no. What he's saying is, hey Cornelius, your heart has been noticed by God. That's what this is all about. Your heart for dependence, your heart for, your generosity is an indication of your heart. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Angel's like, hey, Cornelius, the Lord loves your heart, man. He loves your, He loves seeing what's happening within your heart. And then notice in verses five to eight, the call is given. He's like, I want you to go find this guy named Simon Peter. And Cornelius, he knows nothing else, but he immediately obeys. He doesn't know anything. He has no clue. Um, how much Holy Spirit adrenaline must have Cornelius been feeling at that moment or filled with? I mean, he's just there. This angel shows up. He hears this sentence, and then he goes, go find Peter. He sends two of his servants with a soldier. It's so beautiful. Again, Cornelius has no clue what is happening, but we do. With hindsight, what's happening here in the early stages of Acts 10, uh, Jesus Christ is building his church. We have seen through um, the book of Acts so far, the fulfillment of what Jesus said in Acts 1.8. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. We've seen that in the book of Acts. Jerusalem in Judea. We've seen that so far in the book of Acts. In Samaria. We've seen that so far in the book of Acts. And to the ends of the earth is what's to come. This is the beginning of God reaching the Gentiles. That will then go out again. And spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. Let me. I might add. The only reason that most of us. If we're Gentile. We're here right now. Is because of this moment right here too. That's pretty awesome. And that's pretty encouraging. So. We've got to keep moving. So much to get through right here. Oh, just before we keep moving, though, i got to make sure I say this, okay? Notice the angel doesn't preach the gospel to Cornelius. Notice the angel, basically says, you got to go to Peter. Why? Angels aren't commissioned to preach the gospel. Point to the people who are commissioned to preach the gospel. Go ahead, go ahead. We are. You are. We're the ones who are supposed to preach the gospel. And that's so clear in this text right here as well. Be encouraged by that. Not the angels. They're not even allowed to. Us, we are, God's people are the ones commissioned with the gospel. So, number one, the call, Cornelius. Number two, the confusion, Peter. The confusion, Peter. So look at verse 9. It says, um, the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up onto the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. He's a good Jewish man right there. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times in the thing that was taken up at once to heaven. Now, to verse 17. While well, Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean. So notice this, okay? The Lord is on the move here. The Lord is on the move. Which means, loved ones, remember, whenever the Lord is on the move, people are about to be saved. The Lord is moving, people's lives are about to be changing. But Peter here, in this moment, he is presently, the text says, perplexed or confused. And honestly, who can blame him, right? Who can blame him? So Peter is praying. By the way, have you noticed how much praying occurs in the book of Acts? If I mentioned we have a prayer meeting this Wednesday at 7 p.m.? Have I mentioned, that? Oh, maybe if I mentioned that already? That's good. I want to make sure I keep mentioning it. But just notice how much prayer. Everyone's praying all over the place in the book of Acts. I mean, they're not doing anything. They're just praying. They're praying all the time. It's so encouraging. Then, it, then the text says that Peter was hungry to eat. Again, I love, I love that the Bible mentions that. We'll see maybe why in just a second. Peter's hungry to eat. He's just a normal guy, man. He's praying to the Lord, but he has natural, again, desires of sustenance. And he falls into a trance with this perplexing vision to which he even argues with God in verse 14. He says, no, Lord, I can't eat anything unclean. Do you think it's a coincidence that Peter's, the Bible says Peter's super hungry and then God gives him a vision about food? Do you? I mean, why did that happen that way? I mean, we can't be totally sure. I think it's connected. I mean, talk about getting Peter's attention. He's like, yeah, food, food. You know what I mean? Like, he sees this vision and he's like raptured with this vision of what's going to happen. But what is this vision all about? Why is God showing a vision about food that would translate into Gentiles being saved? We've got to unpack that just for a second. Well, it's more than just the approval for those of us who are not vegans, okay? Although that is here right in the text, okay? Nothing against those who want to be vegetarian or all the power to you. That's amazing, whatever you want to do, but I'm not one, okay? So I'm really glad because this verse comes to mind a lot, all right? Right, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. Yeah, yeah, meat eaters, all right? There you go. A little apologetic for that. We all love each other, though, don't we? Anyways, I'll stop talking about that. I must move on. And here you go, okay? So notice, one of the great distinctions between Jews and Gentiles was food. Right? So like this was one of the great separations between Jew and Gentiles. The, the, the Jews ate foods that were considered clean by Old Testament law. The Gentiles would eat foods that were unclean. All of that ends right here in this vision with Peter. I mean, that's a huge deal. So you're Peter, you're like, what, what, what? what? Wait, wait, wait a second. I've been raised my whole life in this law. And you're telling me just like that it's over? Peter called Nothing. Nothing of the food's unclean. I mean, you can imagine Peter, he's taken aback by this. He's like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Warren Wearsby says it this way. God was not simply changing Peter's diet. He was changing his entire program, okay? This was a monumental moment in the world and the relationship of the gospel between Jews and Gentiles. One of the great, listen to this too, one of the great realities of the gospel is, It's not that Jews are clean and Gentiles are unclean. One of the great realities of the gospel, all are unclean. In Romans chapter 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In Romans chapter 3, no one is good, no not one. In Romans chapter 3, no one seeks after God. No one is clean in the reality of the gospel. All are unclean in their sin. And need to be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, what is happening here, it's such a major message, notice this, that God, it says in verses 14 and 15, God gives this vision or this message to Peter, not once, not twice, but three times. Poor Peter, eh? His multiples are three throughout his life, eh? Right. Eh? Peter denies Christ three times. Jesus meets him after the resurrection. And says, do you love me three times? Peter's so discouraged. And here's Peter again. Again, again. Who can blame him? I and mean, this is such a monumental kind of news story right here. Three times God sends him this message. Because he has to make sure Peter understands what he is saying. Peter did in part. But he wouldn't fully see the picture again until the verses to come. So, the call, Cornelius. The confusion, Peter. Thirdly, we see this. The connection. The connection. The connection now, Jew meets Gentile. Now this is going to lead us from verses 17 to 33. So many verses there. Let me recap, okay? So Peter then meets the servants of Cornelius. They travel together. They report to him. He's amazed. They travel together. They then meet Cornelius, and they recall the situations. Cornelius is like, I saw an angel. And Peter's like, I I heard the, the voice from God. They come together in this amazing moment. So let's just maybe pick up at verse 31. Cornelius and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send, therefore, to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon and Tanner by the sea. So I send for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. So Peter would have traveled 45 kilometers to do this, okay? And then he says, now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God. It's amazing, like, Cornelius, again, he is on the right track. He's not yet saved, did he... He understands, like God's working in him. We are in the presence of God to hear all that you have commanded. You have been commanded um, by the Lord. So a few observations right here of this section of the Supernatural book and this awesome story on the screen for you. Number one, notice this, the sovereignty of God, okay? The sovereignty of God. Like again, like step back from Acts chapter 10. God is moving, man. He's moving in a guy in Joppa. He's moving a guy in Caesarea, 45 kilometers away. He has an angel appear to one. God's voice and a vision is to the other. He brings them together. He's using servants. They've never met before. He's orchestrating the power of the gospel. God's sovereignty is at work. These two men, what's happening, will change the world. I mean, you want to talk about a supernatural appointment? Acts 10, here it is again. God is always working, God is sovereign. Church, God is working among us. God is moving among us right now. He's moving in this place, in this service right now. Like, I tell you, watch out, man, watch out. You better be ready, because you're next. You're next. You a willing vessel, you're next. I'm telling you, be ready, be ready. Young people, experienced people, everyone in between, be ready, be ready. God is moving, and you could be next. I love the sovereignty of God. I love looking at Acts 10 and be like, look at God go. Look at him go. He does whatever he wants. He uses whoever he wants. He brings them together. He saves them. He's pursuing them. I love that theme throughout Acts. I was thinking of God's sovereignty and I thought of, you know, the war we live in right now. And Isaiah 33, it says, The sovereignty of God will be the stability of our times. God is the stability of our times. You worry, you fearful, look at God's sovereignty. And then I thought about my personal Bible reading plan right now. Every section I'm in right now is dripping with God's sovereignty. For example, I'm in Genesis right now, the story of Joseph. I mean, if there's one verse that highlights that entire story of Genesis, again, with the story of Joseph. Joseph says what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Because God is sovereign. God is in control. He led Joseph down to Egypt to save his people from famine. I'm in the Psalms. It's like every third verse is God says, I raise up and I tear down. I'm the God who causes the wind and the thunder and the rain, the sovereignty of God everywhere. I'm in the gospel of Luke right now in the early chapters of the Christmas story, the incarnation. I mean, you want to see God's sovereignty? Here he is interacting in time, giving his son as a gift to the world to be the son of God to save us from our sins. Just dripping. I'm in, I'm in, the, I'm in the book of Job. I mean, talk about God's sovereignty within suffering. If Job doesn't know God is sovereign, the whole thing falls apart. Then I was just two days ago, I was in Ephesians chapter 1 uh, with my son, and we're unpacking the sovereignty of God in salvation, and both of us stopped for a moment, sat there, stared at the wall, and both of us had that emoji of your head blowing off. You're just like, man... Like the sovereignty of we are chosen before the foundation of the world. We have been predestined according to the praise of his glorious his grace, according to the purpose of his will. Are you kidding me? Listen, if God's not sovereign, I quit. But if God is sovereign, I'm in times infinity. And he is sovereign, so I'm in times infinity. And so encouraged by this. Look at what's happening in Acts chapter 10. Love ones, be encouraged by this. Be encouraged by this. Notice secondly, the saving heart of God. When you're in Acts chapter 10 here, um, why is this chapter here? Why the visions? Why all the teaching? Why the meeting between these people? Here's why, ready? Because people are about to be saved. That's why. Why is God doing this? He's saving people from sin. That's why Acts chapter 10 is here. Look at God's heart here. Look at his heart to save. Hey, this just in. not ready. He's not done yet. He's not done yet. Jesus Christ hasn't returned. People are coming to Christ all around us in this place, at this time, in this season, since this church began. It will continue on. There are people here right now, this could be the day that your life is changed forever by the power of the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ, forgiven from your sin, okay? People are coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ. That's the saving heart of God and he wants to use you in the process. The sovereignty, saving heart of God. Thirdly, this, the solidarity of God. The solidarity, what do you mean by that? Notice what's happening in Acts 10. God takes Cornelius and Peter, he brings, he takes a Jew and a Gentile, he brings them together for unity and fellowship in the gospel of Jesus Christ. At the end of this chapter, man, when the Jews see the Holy Spirit falling upon the Gentiles, they're like, oh, God is saving the Gentiles too! And they come together as one body and one church and one Lord and one faith and one baptism. It's the heart of God for the solidarity, again, of bringing people together to save them from every tribe and tongue and nation. Again, we're so blessed here in this church. Just look around for a second. Look around at all the different nationalities represented. Look around at all the different nations. Look around all the different languages that are spoken. We estimate in this church now, I think realistically speaking, there's probably 60, 70, possibly 80 different languages spoken within our church body and family here. That is so beautiful. That is so awesome. That is the gospel. It's what the gospel does. We come together to love each other in the purposes of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, I love, I love how 30 miles, 45 kilometers apart, you, you Peter, come together and see the fellowship and the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, there's a growing trend in the church in our day, in our current society. There's a growing trend in the church that people say, I belong to a church, but really, I only attend once a month or even less. That's becoming a problem. There are people that say, hey, where do you go to church? Whole Bible church. How often do you go out? Once every six weeks? It's like, hmm I don't know if you attend this church. I mean, you might visit sometimes, but I don't think you can really be part of a church when it's that infrequent. I heard a story recently, too, of people, and this, is, this, this actually is being live streamed right now, so this might be offensive to those watching, whatever. I'm not sure. But, it's, but I heard people that, uh, what church you go to? Hope Bible Church. They say, well, when's the last time you went? Well, never. We watch online. And it's not because they have sickness or illness. Just because life is busy and that's what they can do. I'm just like, no, no, no. I, just, I say this in love, okay, okay? So those people, whatever, you might be watching our church. I don't think you're attending. I mean, it, that's impossible by biblical standards. I mean, we got to be really careful in that trend of the power and the purpose of meeting together. In the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in person, the ability to embrace, as we're able, of course. As we're able. Gather time here. Gather time is prime time. We are praying this is the most powerful 90, 105 minutes, 120 minutes of your week. We are praying the power of being together in this way. We're praying that we're teaching our kids and modeling for them the importance of the gathered body and family of Christ. We're teaching them something, I'll tell you that much, as to the importance or the unimportance, again, of the gathered body of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm so glad you're all here right now. I'm so glad. That you've taken the timing. And this is, this, is, this is so important. God bringing Peter and Cornelius together. And I love this. He's bringing nations together. That's what the gospel does. You know, in this case, Peter could never have imagined this guy Cornelius, 45 kilometers away, this Gentile, this Roman soldier, that in just a few moments they'd be bringing together and the gospel would overwhelm the spirit of God, would save them. He could never have probably imagined that. And yet this is what the Lord does. Who can God use in our lives to do something similar? Who can we reach out to in the power of the gospel? People that we thought, that'll never happen, but this is what the gospel does. It unites people in the greatest purpose ever. It's the heart of God. It's the blessing of the togetherness in the gospel of Jesus. So, the call, Cornelius, the confusion, Peter, the connection, Jew meets Gentile, then number four, this, the clarity, Jesus Christ. The clarity, Jesus Christ. Now, what happens now in verse 34, Peter arrives and he's like, okay, now I get it. And the Holy Spirit, man, just overwhelms him. Look at how Peter brings it here in verse 43. Okay, now, by the way, could it be that Cornelius' household is the most receptive audience ever in terms of preaching? Eh? Can you imagine... An audience that was more prepared and hungry to receive and hear what they're about to hear. Like an angel appears to Cornelius. God's working like crazy. He sends servants. Peter comes down and all of a sudden Peter's there and he's like, let's go. man! here comes the gospel. They must have just been like, you know, mouth open, eyes like bugged out and just like salivating for the truth. It's a preacher's dream. An absolute dream preacher's dream. Look at verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and he said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. Okay, this is, this is a brilliant section of scripture. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And as for the word that he sent to Israel preaching the good news of peace, watch him just unpack the life, death, and resurrection. He hits every part that is essential to the gospel of Jesus here. Verse 37. Um, Peace through Jesus Christ, you yourselves know what happened throughout all of Judea, beginning from Galilee and after the baptism of John proclaimed how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Notice, They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all, but us chosen by God, verse 42... And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living, and he's leaving nothing out, the judge of the living and the dead. Notice, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone, ready? Here we go, ready? That everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, There is no greater life-changing news than the news of Jesus Christ, okay? And what I want to do right now is I want to unpack this glorious passage briefly, but I pray hopefully clearly and powerfully. Peter starts with verse 35. Every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And then he launches... Into the glory of Jesus Christ. Up on the screen for you, I want you to see this up on the screen for you. Um, I wanna walk through just this passage, okay? This is just what's in this passage right here and bring clarity to each statement, okay? Watch what Peter does. He says this that Jesus Christ is the peace. He's peace with God. He's peace with God. Clarity, okay? That means that Jesus, only Jesus, can reconcile us to God. Only Jesus can do that. Jesus is the anointed of God. Clarity. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, or Jesus Christ is God. A uh, Jesus Christ and the miracles of God, Peter talks about. Clarity, Jesus Christ was attested to us by God. There has never been and will never be anyone like Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ and his death for us. Clarity, Jesus alone can pay for our sins. Maybe you're here today. It's not about you being a good person. You'll never be good enough. Only Jesus can pay for your sins. All of them. Past, present, and future. Jesus Christ was raised by God. Clarity? Jesus Christ defeated death. And anyone who loves and believes in Jesus, you too will defeat death and be raised to newness of life. Jesus Christ is the one who will judge the living and the dead. Clarity? Jesus Christ holds all authority jesus christ has been given the authority from the father to judge the living and the dead he will decide the eternal fate of all people who have ever lived according to whether they have received him or rejected him jesus christ alone can forgive our sins peter ends with clarity ready all religions are not the same Got to make this abundantly clear from our text today. All religions are not. Why would you say that, Robbie? Because look what happened. Look, take take Cornelius, okay? A God-fearing, devout, continually praying, generous man to the things of God, and yet he was not saved. He needed Jesus Christ. God was working in him, but he he wasn't saved. It's so clear here. That all religions are not the same because only salvation is found through Jesus Christ. Only Jesus Christ can forgive our sins. So at this moment, Peter is preaching, man, the Spirit of God is working. It has been working. I mean, Cornelius' whole life has been leading to this moment. And his whole household, we find out too. His eyes are being opened. His heart is being regenerated. His life is being totally transformed. If you look at verse 44, it says... And all who heard the word, the Holy Spirit fell upon. Man, the power of the Holy Spirit to change lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, would you save lives today? Save lives today, Lord. Holy Spirit, change lives even now. Maybe through what's been said already, the clear presentation of the gospel. It's amazing. So, again, so much to get through. This is so beautiful, though. The call, Cornelius. The confusion, Peter. The connection, Jew meets Gentile. The clarity, Jesus Christ. Fifthly, this. The confirmation, the Holy Spirit. The confirmation, the Holy Spirit. So check this out. Amazing. Verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the words. What does the Holy Spirit do? He just busts right in while Peter's speaking. He interrupts. Greatest interruption ever. All in favor of Holy Spirit interruption? I hope we are. I hope we are, man. I hope we are. Some of us, we say, no, no, no. Holy Spirit, man, it's inconvenient when you show up. Or well, whatever, right? What, what are you talking about? Holy Spirit, you do whatever you want to do. May we be so ready to respond in the moment. The power of the Holy Spirit reviving people in this whole house, never the same again. Verse 46, and all the believers from among the circumcised the Jewish people who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were speaking in tongues and extolling God. So, Pentecost for the Jews, again Acts 2, Pentecost for the Gentiles, you could say right here, Acts 10. Here we go, man. The Holy Spirit is building the church of Jesus Christ again. No, we notice here, the presence of God is the authentication of God. Man, like, join me in praying for this. Join me in praying for the movement of God's Spirit and the theme of reviving hearts and gathering a church and a hunger for Him. Please, 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 join me in praying for this. Did I mention we have a prayer meeting this Wednesday at seven p.m.? Did I mention that? Okay, I just want to make sure. I want to make sure you know. If we don't pray, we don't stand a chance we got to pack this place out, man. We've got to pray to the Lord. Only the Lord can do this. Look at only the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. Only he can do these things. Again, notice this too. As soon as the Jewish people see the Holy Spirit and the Gentiles, they're like, wow. They're saved too. When they see the Holy Spirit, that's the confirmation. It's legit. Some of you are here right now. There's some young people here right now. And you're like, maybe there's some Older people here right now. And you're like, I don't know if I'm saved. What's the single greatest indication that you know you're truly saved in Jesus Christ? It's the guarantee of the assurance the Holy Spirit brings as He resides within you. Ephesians 1 verse 14. The Holy Spirit has been given as a guarantee to our inheritance in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, are you here right now? And you're like, man, I look around the people and they seem to have this and that they seem to be going away for the Lord that I'm not. And you're like, I don't know if I'm saved. You, You beg Jesus Christ to save you and show you the guarantee of the Holy Spirit who resides, we pray, in you as the assurance of your salvation in Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's who he is in us. He is the guarantee of what's to come. The assurance he brings. Man, from the day I was saved, March 97 I've had many, many different times of struggle and doubt and fear and trial and tribulation and despair and depression. All of that. But I have never truly doubted whether or not I'm in Christ. Let me say, I've had times of doubt. In times of whatever, certain things, but not when it comes at the end of the day when Satan tries to condemn and tries to discourage, I can hold up the fact, I know that my Redeemer lives because he lives in me. I know I am saved in Jesus Christ because the power of the Holy Spirit has made me new and I have new life in him. So in Jesus' name, get away from me, Satan. In Jesus' name, again, the assurance that the Spirit of God brings here in our text and I pray here in our lives. The Jews were amazed. They were astonished because they know exactly what that means. And Holy Spirit, bring revival. (sighs) Holy Spirit, revive us. Holy Spirit, move. Holy Spirit, we need you so much. The call, Cornelius, the confusion, Peter, the connection. Jew meets Gentile. The clarity, Jesus Christ. The confirmation, Holy Spirit. Last one. We're done here. Number six. Any idea? Any guesses? The command, baptism. Hey, wouldn't you know it? We end with baptism again. Verse 47. Look at at verse 47. Then Peter declared. He saw all this happening. Look at this. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Look at the pattern now establishing throughout the New Testament in the early church, right? Conversion, faith, Holy Spirit, again, regeneration, all that goes with that, conversion, justification. And from there, there's salvation, baptism. Notice, Notice verse 48. And Peter commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Do you know we have another baptism service coming up on March 8th? Because there's a lineup started again for people wanting to be baptized. And I'm praying the lineup's getting long. Like, this is exciting. Because we're seeing this all throughout the Bible right now. I mean, this isn't something that, notice Peter's like, Hey, um, I suggest to you, when you get around to it, maybe you want to consider if you have time, if it's convenient for you, if you can just get the kids to their sporting event and maybe come back afterwards and maybe get baptized. He's not saying that. He's not, you know, uh, proposing. It's a good idea. I strongly urge him to say. He's like, I command them to be baptized. Some of you are here right now. You're saved in the Lord Jesus Christ. You hear the Holy Spirit saying to you right now, he's not suggesting to you. He's commanding you to be baptized for his glory. And for some of you, you've been waiting a long time to hear that phrase right there. And finally, you're like, I give up. I surrender Jesus I receive the command. I want to obey for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. I will move forward by faith. Again, man, there's a lot of people in front of you in the line right now who want to get baptized, but man, join it. Join it. And we will continue to baptize as long as we need to baptize. You see, people, again, again, listen, listen, man. Have the courage. Have the courage. Some of you maybe have signed up for baptism and then the enemy has tried to have second thoughts. Man, just fight through that. Let us love you. Come, we'll just give you a hug. We'll talk through with you and just to see again all the time, such a blessing, so much glory, so encouraging. Notice, he commands them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's the name above all names. Because there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. It's the name that covers this whole book. It's the name that is so awesome and so great. It's the name that's so powerful, wonderful, and so beautiful. It's the name we sing. It's the name that changes everything. It's the name we worship. It's the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your awesome word and your awesome son, Jesus Christ. Man, I pray. I pray there is beautiful encouragement and faith. I pray you're saving people today. I pray that people sitting here right now listening, whatever it might be, overflow, you are saving people today. I pray you will be calling people towards baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I pray that you will be moving in our church supernaturally and wonderfully. Yes, Lord. I pray you will be calling us right now to say this is the most important moment of my week and I'm gonna end it off with a bang. I'm going to sing loud. I'm going to praise my Savior. I'm going to rejoice in him. May it be so, Lord. Encourage your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.